Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome to the 591st edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Red Bull News Network as well as Beyond the 90. But as always, this show will be on the American game here in the United States. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. You know, I I rarely talk to you guys about some of the things, whether it is you or your fellow supporters, whether it be in the club game or in the national team game, of trying to create a narrative, or interfere with what might have or might not have been said during a broadcast of the U.S. men's national team games, whether it be a friendly, uh, a qualifier, a tournament match, or the World Cup itself. And if I have to continue to repeat myself here, because the truth is, it, it's getting very, very just really terrible on the narratives that you guys assume has been said or You want to create something that is completely false. And it really bothers me. It just really, really bothers me that some of you just want to start something that truly, truly does not jive. When it came to the Gold Cup match between the United States and Jamaica, apparently somebody, and I'm assuming you can speak both English and Spanish, somebody all of a sudden came out and said, During the match, Univision confirms Greg Berhalter changed the lineup prior to the game. Brian Reynolds and Jordi Mihaljevic were expected to start. You know, this really bothers me. This really hurts. And this is really something that you guys just got to stop. I only say this because 
The only people that you're hurting are yourselves. You're hurting your own credibility as a supporter of the U.S. men's national team. You are the ones that are hurting all of us. Not just your fellow supporters. Not just the people who follow you on social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, whatever. Instagram does not matter. What you guys are doing is you're making a mockery out of all of us. You are. Whether you think you're being funny, you're not. You're being sad. You're being disingenuous. And it really hurts to see the level of common sense really being flushed down the toilet the way you guys have been doing this. You have your pinatas ready for Aaron Long, and yet in the game against Jamaica, Aaron Long was not the culprit who allowed that goal to be scored. It was Matt Miazga who made the poor judgment. But instead of going with the facts, you'd rather blame Aaron Long for everything because he's one of the two center backs. Well, guess what? Miazga was the real culprit in that one. Not him. So it's easy. It's easy to just go out and smack him as much as possible when you're not even looking at the real culprit of who allowed the goal to be scored. But it doesn't matter. The narratives are there. Fairly or unfairly does not matter. And I want to give credit. I want to give credit to Univision reporter Michelle Giannone for standing up and saying it on the broadcast, either through Univision or TUDN. They're all under the same umbrella with Univision. I want to give him credit. I want to give him the credit for standing up and informing the people through social media. He said, sorry, bro. Nobody said this on our broadcast. Please check your facts. And apparently, I, of course, came out what I had to come out with because why? Because I'm supporting what this man, who is a credible reporter for the Spanish language channel that talks about this game. Because he knows what's going on. He's aware of the situation, and he knows what is said at his broadcast company. That did not happen. And, of course... This guy had to respond to that tweet. What I said, honestly, Michelle, these people don't want to use facts. They want a narrative that is poor and disgusting, which is true. Guy responded to me saying, clearly you don't know ball. And I responded back, clearly you don't either. Because that's the truth. They don't want facts. And this is the sad state 
of our support for this national team. No one wants to pay attention and no one wants to use common sense because there is no way whatsoever Greg Berhalter is informing B.J. Callahan what to do and what not to do with the starting lineups, with the tactics or the formations. B.J. Callahan was able to take down both Mexico and Canada in the Nations League, so I think he's man enough and adult enough to basically say, and I can say it, that he can manage this team very well all by himself. It is just a shame that some of you, not all of you, but some of you, have to stoop this low just to be against Greg Berhalter, who has not taken over the national team until this upcoming September. Now, let me say this. I'm not in love with how U.S. soccer brought him back. And the truth is, I'm not happy he is back. Granted, he did his job. He got the U.S. men's national team out of the group stage, but sadly eliminated in the round of 16 against the Dutch. Because the truth is, the Dutch in Louis van Gaal is a better manager both on the club level and on the national team level than Greg Berhalter ever is and ever was. That's the truth. I did not like the shenanigans that U.S. soccer pulled on all of us. I was not happy with how they uh, conducted their so-called coaching search, which they really didn't, and abused both Anthony Hudson and B.J. Callahan as a smokescreen for their real intent. The truth is, they won't tell you the truth, U.S. soccer. They won't tell you who they really want to bring over. They won't tell you this. They won't do this. They're going to hide everything from us and then show their real intentions on that fake press conference just to say, we brought him back. I understand you want to be upset. I understand you want to be angry. I understand you want to be pissed off about what happened. I understand. I'll tell you guys is this. You need to behave much better than what you have shown in previous times. You don't want to listen. You don't want to learn. And you are making all of us look stupid and foolish. I am asking nicely. I really am. I know the tone of, the tone of my voice doesn't say that I'm say, asking it nicely. can say is, is this. Please don't overdo it again. Please calm yourself down. Please do not make yourselves look silly and foolish. Because not only do you ruin your own reputations, 
you ruin it for everybody else. That's the truth. That is the truth. I don't want to do this to you guys because I know how dedicated you are to this national team. I know how dedicated you are to our national team and to the sport, and you want us to win that little golden trophy. I know this. And any trophy that comes in their way, whether it be this, whether it be this Gold Cup next summer, the secondary Gold Cup in 2025, and now we're hosting again the World Cup in 2026, and so on and so on. Believe me. I love you guys no matter what, but you got to stop acting this foolish and this silly. You know, the last time I remember talking to you guys about this was the whole Aaron Long situation and the one particular Twitter poster who made that fake quote intentionally trying to paint Aaron Long into a racist that he is, we all know he isn't. And what you guys don't understand is your fake news. Yes, your fake news. The fake quotes, the fake tweets, and the fake breaking news is that you guys are starting. If someone catches that in the legitimate sports media business, who do you think is going to get hurt? Oh, but you don't care. But when we find out who it really is that's making this stuff up, what's going to happen then? You know, Twitter, they can now contact Twitter and probably find out who you are. And when they get your computer or your laptop, now I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say that Twitter does know what to do with it and who to find. You could be sued really badly. So all I'm asking you guys is this, calm down and don't go too far because one day you could be sent to jail. And I don't want that to happen to any of you. Okay. We love the U.S. men's national team. I know you do. I do. We all do. But let us not go overboard anymore, guys. That's all I'm asking. Great show for you tonight. Let's go ahead and bring on my first guest. He is the host of the Hammering Down podcast covering Birmingham Legion. Once again, Kaylor Hodge is joining me tonight. And boy, oh boy, what great news he has for us tonight. It's been around the internet a lot, but it's time for him to come on and tell us. Kaylor, good evening. Great news for Birmingham Legion. You go ahead and tell the audience, sir, what that entails. I mean... It doesn't get much more exciting than Dominic Wilkins. Yes, that Dominic Wilkins, the human highlight film. He's, uh, he's an owner of Birmingham Legion. And it could not have come at a more exciting time of, you know, just the surreality of a U.S. Open Cup run and getting back into league play and trying to keep that excitement going. And then we get a notification to watch ESPN on first take to find out then that Dominique Wilkins is joining the club and seeing Birmingham Legion's crest on ESPN, I, mean, I don't think it gets much better. I, this is amazing. I mean, look, we all want to have this sport be acknowledged by 
all these wonderful athletes who have played in Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, to get involved with the world's game. And, you know, they have, as a fan, as a probably a little bit of a minority owner, we all know that we have seen Kevin Durant having a form of ownership with the Philadelphia Union and MLS. But for Dominique Wilkins, for Dominique Wilkins, an NBA Hall of Famer and a – uh, a legend of the Atlanta Hawks back in the 80s when I was watching the NBA back in those days with him and Jordan and Ewing and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird for him to just plop down a little bit more north and west from Atlanta and to be part of a owner of a USL championship club this speaks volumes to what not only the Legion have done, but what the game has done in the United States. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of insane to think about from that perspective. Uh, Dominique was very upfront in his press conference. He said, this is a young club. But one of the reasons, and he reiterated it several times, I I listened to the press uh, conference again just today, And one of the things he kept mentioning was, yes, they're a young club. Yes, they're in second division, but they win. This is a team that wins. He said, I don't join losers. And that's what you'll – I think you'll start to see with a lot of these high-end athletes because this isn't just NBA player. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, Hall of Famer. If you were to ask somebody who the most exciting athlete of all time across any sport, Dominique Wilkins is one of the first guys mentioned, and that's a lot of names to go through. And when what he is worried about is not only being a part of a community that he aligns himself with, but says, I will join a winner, not only is that incentive for other athletes to say, hey, we can join that kind of stuff, but it's also an incentive for club owners to say, hey, maybe winning is important. We can't just sell when we're bad and try to buy out when our stock is high. Absolutely. And it's just amazing how he always visits the Birmingham area uh, just to see, I guess, what's going on, uh, the culture, not just, of course, uh, the rich culture of what goes on in Birmingham, but the sporting culture as well. UAB is there, uh, of course, the Barons, minor league baseball. But something with the Legion really resonated out of him, like you just said. And that's it's a winning club. And as you said, Brun really must have sparked him to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this group. What made, what, when you heard that news that he wants to be a part of the Legion, what did that mean to you? What did that mean to the entire community of Birmingham, Alabama? I mean, so what it meant to me versus what it meant to Birmingham, Alabama was really different. Um, for me, it was excitement of, hey, this is a guy who everybody knows that is joining the club, and this is a real deal name. And this is also someone who is willing to put his face with a product, you know, something that a lot of these inner circle Hall of Fame kind of guys don't just do. For what it meant for the city of Birmingham, I mean, I think it's as simple as I went to the press conference for this. I went to the press conference for Inter-Miami for the Open Cup run. And 
this is when Lionel Messi was being announced as coming to Inter Miami, and I was at that press conference. There were more people at the press conference to introduce Dominique Wilkins than there was to talk about Inter Miami, and it wasn't close. And the the talk about how to start off the local news with soccer. I I want to ask anybody. I mean, you're around the New York area. When's the last time you saw your primetime news station start off talking about soccer? It doesn't happen in this country. And it happened in Birmingham, Alabama, where soccer is. It became the first thing that people thought about in the city, and that's unreal to think about. It really is. I mean, to be honest with you, unless it's the Yankees – or the Mets, or the New York Rangers, or the New York Knicks, or you know the Jets or the Giants, that would normally make the news first because they're usually in a playoff run or they're in the championship final. You know, normally they would just stick it to the, you know, the the the, uh, the sports segment on your local news. That's what would be up here first. But absolutely, without a doubt, this is a game changer and very happy to hear what's been going on over there in Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, I know you said that this is even bigger than building a soccer specific stadium one day in Birmingham, but do you feel now with Dominic Wilkins as a part owner of the Legion that maybe that process could be expedited? Uh, Well, you know, you and I had talked uh, off air at one point, and bringing in Dominique Wilkins has confirmed the fact that Legion have a training facility, and that training facility on the way is going to be home to the academy team and and our women's team. You know, the the idea of building a state-of-the-art training facility is just as much of an equal, I guess, investment into the club and for fans, it brings a lot of just uh, clarity on that this team is around for the long haul. And, yeah, in a couple of years when this training facility is built, you can start looking ahead because you have the big hurdle out of the way, which is where do we train. And I think that getting Dominic Wilkins involved maybe – wasn't the thing that pushed over the line for a stadium, but he was the thing that pushed over the training facility along, which is the next step to getting that soccer-specific stadium. Yeah, that's very true, and uh, that's still exciting as well, and I agree with you. Getting a training facility for your club is also just as important as it is to have your own stadium because they work hand-in-hand all together. I should know. Uh, Unfortunately, if you're an MLS team, the stadium comes first, the training facility comes second. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's what it was uh, for the New York Red Bulls. I remember uh, when they finally broke ground to build their first training facility in uh, East Hanover, New Jersey, not far from Harrison, of course, but you know they had to have it somewhere. And now they're looking to make a brand new one and a bigger one uh, a couple miles away. Not too far, but just a couple more miles away. Um, what has this Open Cup run meant for the Legion, and what has it meant for the community now that they're back into league play and they are a, and, and you know, what have the crowds been like now at Protective Stadium ever since that run ended? And has it continued on? 
so the first game we had back in league play was a little bit unfair because it was the day before Father's Day, and it was a cool 100 degrees outside. So the first game back wasn't great, but I think the real tale was the game, this most recent game that Legion had played, and it was pouring rain all day long. It was 100-plus degrees. It was a Wednesday night, and we pulled higher than our season average. Um, and if that not only shows the impact of the Open Cup run because people wanted to come back despite the weather, despite how dang hot it was and also being rained on, but also that was the day they announced Dominique Wilkins and Chris Richards back in town for the first time since the Gold Cup or, sorry, yeah, the Gold Cup run, um, Nations League, whatever it is. Um, and he – there was a whole lot of stuff happening that day, and for Legion to pull – a higher attendance than average on a day that a couple years ago, heck, even earlier this year, I would say we'd be lucky to get 2,000. I mean, it's it's incredible. It really sounds like it's incredible, and I'm very happy to hear that. You know, to me, it sounds like Birmingham, Alabama, uh, finally about to be on the map here with the Legion uh we all know Alabama soccer, it's getting bigger, it's getting better. And once again, just to see what Dominique Wilkins sees is now pushing it over the edge. It's now really going yep. beyond that border, that barrier, and really, really putting that club on the map. We all know what Detroit City has done. There's no doubt about that. We all knew what Nashville SC was was about. We all knew how popular they were as well. Obviously, the old guard, Charleston Battery, um, and, and so many of these other clubs that have been around for such a long period of time. I mean, how much pride can you show and tell all our all my listeners what this meant, everyone in Birmingham, and not just in Birmingham, maybe for the entire state of Alabama as well? Yeah, I mean, look, I remember the club that was here uh, before Legion – um, that it is still technically the same club, but it was a rebranding situation. But it was the Birmingham Hammers, and on good days, we were getting 500 people, and those were the big games when you got 500 people in attendance. And 10 years ago now, plus, seeing that grow to seeing 18,000 people and Dominique Wilkins get involved when I remember being very excited when the local – um, frozen yogurt shop sponsored the team. That was the highlight of the season and at the very beginning. Now getting these big crowds, these big names involved, and getting Chris Richards back and back at home for the first time in front of home fans. And it's just the 205 Birmingham, Alabama, has produced so much soccer talent. Um, with four guys representing their country and Brandon Cervania, Tanner Testament, Chris Richards, and Jaden Cervania for the Puerto Rican national team. Five girls who have played in, uh, the, in the NWSL and abroad. And for that to finally be put on broadcast in person in front of everybody to see and a real proper professional football club to really reflect the community I've never been more fr- more proud to be a soccer fan in this country. 
Very true. Now let's quickly take a look at the Birmingham Legion situation right now. Uh, your the club is sixth right now in the Eastern yep. Conference uh, at the moment in a playoff spot. Uh, if you do remain, or if the club does remain uh, in sixth place, they'll be on the road to take on Memphis 901 FC. Mm. What do you think Tommy Stone needs to do to continue on and hopefully maybe get lucky enough to uh, push a little higher? Because uh, right now there are three points. There are three, three points behind Louisville City. Of course, it's strange to see Louisville City in fifth place these days. Um, they are yep. six points behind Tampa Bay for fourth. They are also um, also six points behind Memphis as well and Charleston. So, I mean, you still got plenty of matches left to go. And uh, you could be – the Birmingham Legion could possibly get as, as high as second. You know, it's, you know, you say that. The next game we play is against the defending champions of San Antonio, then Las Vegas, which they're Las Vegas. And then the next three games after that, Tampa Bay, Louisville City, Charleston. It, it really is as simple as win those three games and we'll be okay. Heck, just get points out of those three games and we're okay. Uh, Legion started off as hot as you can get and then went completely winless aside from the Open Cup run in May. This team knows how to win. They have talent that knows how to win. They were, you know, match, match congestion as they could be during that run, and now they've had time to rest. The schedule's hard, but, you know, the other teams looking at Legion are also saying that the schedule's hard, so no one else is feeling sorry for us, and we shouldn't feel sorry for them. I think this team has the makeup to win. They know that they can win, and these next five matches are the time for this team to strike. Absolutely, and we'll see what they'll do um, in later on in the season. But still, though, I'll have you back on to talk about that Open Cup run uh, somewhere down the line. But obviously, once again, this is a happy day, a happy day for Birmingham, Alabama. It's a happy day for all Legion supporters who basically are, you know, you have every right to celebrate here, Kaler, every right to celebrate. Yep this big time moment that Dominic Wilkins, the human highlight reel is now a part of the ownership group of Birmingham Legion. Thank you for joining me tonight. And I hope you have a great night and talk to you again soon. Appreciate you for having me. I could not, uh, Hey, anytime you want to have me, I'm always available. All right. Thank you very much. Kaylor Hodges, the, hammering down podcast on Birmingham Legion and what a great story that is time for another great story join me once again tonight Michael Batista writes for the cup.us redbullnation.com and also wrote an article at the protagonist soccer website on something that happened at the U.S. Adult Soccer Association's Region 3 tournament Michael thank you for joining me tonight and how are you sir I'm all right. Uh, how are you doing? Doing great. Now, you have to inform us of something that happened in this Region 3 uh, tournament. Now, once again, it is the southern region, the southern states of American soccer. Clubs are getting involved in this, and I understand as well they will 
when they win their Region 3 tournament, I believe they are available for the national championship of, of the U.S. Adult Soccer Association, which also leads to the automatic bid for the 2024 U.S. Open Cup, correct? Correct. Uh, so let me just quickly run this down for people who haven't read the article or uh, who are uninformed, and believe me, it's a lot of people because it's not easy to follow. Uh, USASA, uh, the United States Adult Soccer Association, is divided into four regions, Region 1, Region 2, Region 3, and Region 4, and they each are contained in a different geographical region in the United States. Like you said, Region 3 is the one that contains the southern states. Uh, it's everything from uh, North Carolina down to Texas uh, and Florida. So, like, a, pretty much a triangle. Let's go with that. Uh, and there's a couple – and there's some other states in there that don't totally fit in. But, yeah, that's pretty much the general area we're talking about here. The bitty, a pretty big region. Um, each – uh, USASA region holds their own amateur cup tournament. Uh, and at the end of each one, there's a champion. That means there's four regional champions. After that, there is a national amateur cup finals, which is each of the four teams or each of the four champions go to a single location and have a four team tournament, two semifinals and a final in a single location over a weekend. Uh, the winning team wins the National Amateur Cup, which is one of the oldest trophies in American soccer. It dates back to like 1916 or like 1920. It's a very, it's a, it's a cool trophy. Um, you win prize money somewhere close to, I believe, $10,000. I don't, don't quote me on that one, but it's a good, it's a good uh, amount of money. And of course, uh, since 2018, the National Amateur Cup champion has received one of the automatic qualifying berths for the U.S. Open Cup tournament. Um, essentially, you, uh, USASA and U.S. Soccer take one of the spots that would go to a local qualifying team and automatically give it to the National Amateur Cup champion. It's a very cool system, in my opinion. I think it's one of the more rightly deserved uh, spots that goes into the Open Cup for amateur teams. Absolutely. That's great to hear. And, uh, you know, we always love to talk about the lower levels just below the professional divisions. And we want to see those teams get their moment in the sun when it comes to the Open Cup there, Michael. Absolutely true. Now, what happened with this Region 3 tournament that all of a sudden everything just went hell in a handbasket? Well, when I said before that every region in USASA hold their own amateur cup tournament. I'm not kidding because each of them does it in their own way. Uh, region one is the Northeast. It's everything from Maine down to Virginia slash West Virginia uh, and like West PA. They have region one does it where it's a knockout style competition and each state association sends one team and usually state associations, then their state cup champion. New York only sends one team. They send their state cup champion, and that could be Lansdowne, could be, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, Freedoms, yada, yada. Uh, region 2 is just an open bracket anyone can enter. So you get, like, 20 teams, 25 teams entering, multiple teams from multiple state, multiple teams from the same state. 
Uh, it's chaos, but it's kind of like fun chaos uh, for a little bit, in my opinion. Region 3 doesn't do that because Region, uh, Region 3 has it differently. Uh, most of these tournaments take place over months. You know, knock, single game knockouts, one game every week, uh, broken up because you have, to accompany, you have to accommodate for league seasons. Region 3 doesn't where the entire tournament is over one weekend. Now, okay, sure, it's over one weekend, but they also do the Region 1 thing where every state association in Region 3, which is like 10 states, is supposed to send a team. Uh, and not every team can make it, but some states send multiple teams to try and fill in the numbers. What happens there is that you have it so – you have a bunch of teams that qualified because they won their league or they won their state cup. You have a bunch of teams that either were runners up and are taking the spot of someone who couldn't make it for financial reasons, or you have teams from the same state or from far away who have no business being in a national amateur cup qualifier or a national amateur cup regional tournament. And remember, I said this is all over one weekend and you have 10 teams in one tournament over one weekend. This format, which has been going on since oh, for a couple of years at this point, since at least 2021 and probably further back, they have it so the whole tournament takes place in one location and teams play multiple games uh, a day. So on Friday, they play a night game. And then on Saturday, they play two games in one day. And the best teams in these complicated group standings then qualify for a knockout on Sunday morning and then on early Sunday afternoon the top two the the teams that win their semifinal games which have no time to recover play in the final which means it's you know no time to recover and it's also taking place in hot Texas heat because remember it's region three it's in the south it could be in Tennessee it could be in Texas and this year was in Texas Teams were playing in 90-degree weather, and there were also tornado warnings. So, you know, but I, you know, no region can accommodate for that. But, yeah, you have a format that incentivized blowouts. You had a format that was played in dangerous conditions, and you had a format that made no sense that all went into the Open Cup qualifying system. Now, the president of the U.S. Adult Soccer Association, or at least in the amateur divisions of U.S. soccer, is John Moda, correct? Correct. He's the president of USASA. Not all amateur soccer, just USASA. Okay. So just USASA. So couldn't the head of Region 3 contacted Mr. Moda to say, we got a lot of teams this year. How should we change this? Should we try to change this? I mean, doesn't he oversee everything that goes on in all four regions? Like, he's the head the head guy? He does. Um, there's a couple problems, and that is that Region 3, a lot of teams complain about cost. Um, sorry. Um, with Region 3, a lot of teams were complaining about cost. They don't want to do the not... Apparently, from what I've been told, and I have not heard this from every single team, um, they don't want to do the knockout system because they don't want to travel as far. 
but then you have too many teams in one location when it comes down to having this many games in a short span. Uh, and I understand that not every region has the same amount of resources as another region. Region 1 has states like New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, uh, which are very well, well-funded and, you know, respected state associations. They have, I don't want to say cash to burn, but they have enough resources where they can do, they can help teams do travel across the eastern seaboard. That isn't necessarily the case with stuff like Georgia or Mississippi uh, and, you know, Louisiana. If, I know Louisiana doesn't even send teams anymore because they just can't do it. Um, so I know John Moda, he probably would push for something not like this, but it, probably, it goes back to the – it all comes back down to cost. Look at the format as it is now. Uh, the reason it why it the reason why it is the way it is, like when I said Sunday morning is the semifinal and early Sunday afternoon is when the final is, that's so teams can take a early evening or late flight home from Monday morning work. Why are their games on Friday night? So teams can like maybe go to work on Friday and then come and then play their game. Like it's they try and make it work and they try and make cost work. And I'm I'm John Moda knows that. So if any change is going to happen, it has to come from all the members of Region 3 and him. Do you feel that maybe it's time for U.S. soccer on all levels? And we're talking not just with the Open Cup itself, but with now these regional tournaments. Maybe it's time for a sponsor to uh, bring in some cash to uh, – give it the boost that it needs so that all these teams that are, are able to come over can? Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. But no offense, you can't find a sponsor for the Open Cup. You're not finding a sponsor for this. Um, I think the first step to fixing this is nationalization at the USASA level. Um Every region having its own Amateur Cup tournament with its own, like, rules is what makes this so complicated and so difficult to follow. Um, Since 2021, I've been the guy for the Cup.us to cover this. And it's why have I been the guy doing it? Because no one – because people have issues doing it and – People have issues following all these, you know, games and different rules. Um, look at Region 3 again. When I said it was in group stages for – it was 10 teams in, like, three different groups, and the way the groups worked was that a win was worth six points every time you scored a goal up to three goals. That was an additional point. And if you got a shutout, that was an additional point. So you can earn 10 points for a game. That's complicated. Why is it – so it's it's confusing. Um if things are going to change, I wouldn't even worry about sponsors. I would just worry about USASA, John Moda, and all the regions having it so there is a unified rule set, uh, and there is easy and there is better communication between teams, region, and the public of what is who is taking part, how they got in, and when their games are. That's that's the baseline here, and I think you want to talk about sponsors. Um, sure, get Capelli for all I care, but I mean, 
there's things that have to get done to make it attractive to sponsors in the first place. No, that's true too. And uh, I think that's the one thing that's always been the big question mark is how we're going to organize everybody in U.S. soccer to make all of this make sense. And it, it just feels like at times there is a rudderless ship at U.S. soccer, no matter what level it's at. And I mean, I think, Paul, I think, I think Mr. Mutta is going to have to get together with all of the top officials of each region. And they got to hammer something out. Something's got to be done here because they can't continue to, to operate like this. And yeah, I agree and I understand. Everything is always about cost. Everything is always about money. It's always about tightening the purse, the purse strings. We all understand that. But they can make up something that can make sense for everybody, then – they should find a way to fix this instead of leaving everything so chaotic. No, agreed. And um, look, I know when I was explaining this whole situation, I was kind of talking fast, and it's it's hard to track. So if people who are listening to this have any issues, like, understanding, I highly suggest you read the two articles I've written on the Amateur Cup this year. Uh, I wrote one on Region 1, the Region 1 Amateur Cup for Hudson River Blue. And I wrote the article that I'm here about today on the Region 3 Amateur Cup, and it's the fiasco it was for protagonist soccer. And I highly suggest anyone who is hearing the ramblings of a madman who's confused, please go check those out. But it's we do need to be careful when we talk about this because this is not U.S. soccer, like USSF. This is all on USASA. This is the people who run the largest amateur association, the largest governing body of amateur soccer in the United States. And the United States is big, Dan. Like, we know this. It's, it's very hard um, for a team in Florida to fly to Texas. Um, it's very hard uh, for – look at Region 4. You have – Region 4 includes Alaska and Hawaii. If any of those teams ever want to take part, that's going to be a lot of travel. Um, it's tough, and we need to find ways to make it work. Uh, we need to find ways to make it attractive for MPSL teams to take part. One of the reasons why MPSL teams don't take part in the Amateur Cup in Region 1 is because it's tough for them to go through the state qualifying tournaments in the fall, like right after the MPSL season ends. They can't play winter football because uh, – their players are gone. They could do the Amateur Cup in the spring, maybe in like the late spring, but they've lost their chance. They can't take part. It's it, There's got to be some tweaks made, whether it be to the format, whether it be to how teams take part, how teams qualify. Um, and it's all on USASA. And we'll see what happens. I've been told change is coming, but I don't know what exactly. But I'm hearing uh, change is going to come within the next few years um, overall. Well, that's good. And let's hope uh, change is for the better, you know, got to make sure that it, it's all going to be in, in favor of uh, all these players and all these teams in uh, U.S. soccer. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Um, finally, let me ask you this. August 23rd, is the semifinals. We all know who's coming to play for Miami, and they are in the semifinals on the road at FC Cincinnati. 
When was the last time you saw someone that famous from European club soccer, or at least a worldwide name, getting involved in the Open Cup? Nobody. Oh, you're talking about we're talking about Open Cup now. Like it's it's a whole oh, yes. new ball game. It's a whole new ball game. The last time oh, I yeah. heard I saw anyone, the last time I saw anyone of note like jumping in was like maybe maybe Zlatan, and then like I don't even think like LA Galaxy did anything with him. At the time, uh, there it's this is this is unprecedented. We might see Turner or somebody jump on to like put this game on national TV if it gets played in. If they host the final, oh, it's, I think they might put it on national TV. Um, it's it's insane. I know, isn't it? Aren't you happy about this? That finally we're going to have possibly the Open Cup semis and the final on national television, that I, it blows my mind away, and I hope it happens. I really, really hope it happens. I mean, no offense. I'm happy. I don't mind I'm the happy, Lazo Network. I'm happy, but I'm also like, you know, Miami's there because the referee missed a handball call. So, you know, you, oh, I know. monkey I know. No, I know. I know. Believe me, I know. Not happy that, that he missed a handball call, which was like five feet in front of him. Mhm. It was, it was, it was tough, and it's just another reason why we need VAR late more in the tournament. But well, it's you know, U.S. soccer is in a deficit. They can't afford it. They can't afford yep. to put VAR at every stadium, and I get it. But it's just, it almost shows how I don't want to say spoiled, but like accustomed we are to having it now, even though we hate the checks. We yep. think the checks like slow down the game too much, but we just when they're not there, you you miss it. Because you just see Exactly. You see human error. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well we'll see what happens there. Michael, thank you for joining me tonight. I will see you back in about uh two weeks back at Red Bull Arena. Thanks for joining me tonight and I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, no problem at all. And that's Michael Batista, uh, Hudson River Blue, Red Bull Nation, uh, and of course the Cup.us joining us tonight for Red Bull Nation for NewYorkSportsNation.com. Time to talk about the New York Red Bulls, and boy, oh boy, two matches, four points out of six, and that first one against Charlotte FC, a poor, poor, poor first half, and after coming out of that two-week break, Troy Lassane did not like what he saw. He read his club, the Riot Act, made two impactful subs, and they came back to tie it at two. Could have been 3-2, 4-2 Red Bulls, but Charlotte was able to hold it in there and keep the point and uh, drop two. But when they played Saturday night against Atlanta United, wow, that Red Bull team of old came back. Fabulous goals in that match from Daniel Edelman, from Christian Caceres Jr., and a brace from Frankie Amaya destroyed and demolished Atlanta United four goals to nil. What what a um, amazing amount of change of this club that Troy Lassane has done. This has been an amazing job. The amount of change that he has brought in, 
what they have been able to do has just been amazing. And now for Troy Lassane. In, if I can count this correctly, two, four, five, six, seven, eight matches. And if you want to count the two Open Cup matches as well, that's ten. That is five wins, two losses, and three draws. It counts as a draw because they did not get that match winner through regulation or extra time. The penalty kick shootout, which they lost, is a separate bracket. So that is why the match is officially considered a draw, even though they lost in the penalty kick shootout against FC Cincinnati. But my goodness, Lassane has been tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Brought back what this Red Bull team is supposed to be about. Not just high pressing, confidence, brought back better attacking runs, better game plan, improving everything in front of their eyes and in front of our faces. Just unbelievable what is going on with the Red Bulls now. And yes, they're going to have to play uh, League's Cup uh, later on in the middle of July. Unfortunately, but that's what it is. But if you want to know what's going on in the Eastern Conference standings, at this point in time, right now, they are three points behind D.C. United for the last playoff spot. And they are also three points behind Montreal for the eighth spot. They are five points behind Orlando for the seventh spot. And seven point, uh, excuse me, six points behind Atlanta now for that sixth spot. So if the New York Rebels continue to play better and accelerate and ascend in the Eastern Conference, they can pass playoff line and get back into a positive manner. Something had to change, and it's been a change for the better. Troy Lassane, who has had great success with New Mexico United, came over last year to be part of the coaching staff when Gerhard Struber was here. And now he has taken over for the rest of the 2023 season and the changes he has made, the new confidence that you're seeing the club playing in is doing wonders for them. And it's just been fantastic. So happy to see this happen. And right now here is the New York Red Bull schedule. The remaining games they have, before they go into the League's Cup tournament. They will be this coming Saturday at Columbus to take on the crew. And then next Saturday, they'll be back home against New England Revolution. And then in midweek on the 12th, they will host FC Cincinnati. And then back on the road, going to Sandy, Utah, to take on Real Salt Lake on the 15th of July, and then they go into their League's Cup break. So, and once again, if they do make the attempt to go all the way into the semifinals and or the final, let's just say this right now, if they do get to the final of the League's Cup, whether they win it or not, they will go to the CONCACAF Champions League next year. Excuse me, 
now the CONCACAF Champions Cup. I apologize. But if they lose in the semifinal match, they get a second opportunity to qualify for the Champions Cup in the third place match. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But right now, right now, this is going to be a big, big moment for the New York Red Bulls. And we will see what will happen when they get that opportunity. And the hope is they can get on a run and they can not only qualify for the MLS Cup playoffs again, but maybe achieve reaching a CONCACAF Champions Cup in the League's Cup tournament once again. Their first match, both matches will be at Red Bull Arena. They will host New England Revolution on July the 22nd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Atletico San Luis on Sunday, July the 30th. Both matches are currently on Apple TV. So go to tv.apple.com to watch those games or be at Red Bull Arena to watch them play against the New York Red Bulls. Big moment here. We'll see what happens moving forward, and it should be a lot of fun, and it should be exciting. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Kaylor Hodges from the Hammering Down podcast and Michael Batista once again with his article on protagonist soccer about the USASA Region 3 tournament. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Don't forget to join me this coming Wednesday night for post-match in the 2023 CONCACAF Gold Cup as the United States will face for the very first time in that tournament, St. Kitts and Nevis. Update for you right now. It was Martinique defeating El Salvador down to 10 men in the second half. Martinique down to 10 men, but they defeat El Salvador by a final of two goals to one. And in my mind, that's an upset. We'll see what happens during this Gold Cup. Get ready for that on Wednesday night at midnight Eastern, 9 o'clock Pacific, here on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for joining me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and have a good night and bye-bye for now.